What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Wednesday, September 13th, 2022. And tonight we're breaking down, well, it's a Cardinals loss. And a tough one to swallow when you consider the fact that the Cardinals facing the Brewers on Tuesday night. And Milwaukee, mathematically, technically, literally, however you want to phrase it, they're not out of this division race just yet. As much as I wanted to call it last week and essentially did do that on this podcast, on the big show, I said the Brewers were done. The Cardinals had locked this thing up. And for as much as I still believe that to be the case, I have gotten enough messages in the aftermath of this Tuesday game from Cardinals fans wondering, is this thing still safe? Are the Cardinals going to blow this? What's going on here? So we're going to get into that and uh, sort of take the temperature of where we are with, at least my opinion, since I'm the only voice on this show, where I am with my opinion on where things stand in the National League Central race. As the Cardinals lose to the Brewers at Bush Stadium on Tuesday night, 8-4, to four, and in doing so, now lead the division by seven games instead of eight. And that makes Wednesday's game all the more important. Corbin Burns v. Adam Wainwright. Because when you come into this two-game series, you have that eight-game lead if you're the Cardinals. You're thinking, all right, just get a split because if you do that, you remain at eight games ahead and the calendar loses two days. It gets so much more difficult for the Brewers to catch it. But there's a big difference between eight and six, and that's really where the Cardinals will find themselves following Wednesday's game if they don't find a way to get that win. You don't want to get swept by the Brewers the remainder of the way. That is really the only way that you can lose the stranglehold on this division. So we'll talk about where things stand on that front. We'll also talk about the latest in the MVP race, which for much of the season in the National League hadn't been much of a race. But Paul Goldschmidt is not looking like himself as of late. And so... We'll take a look at where his numbers stand and dissect really how far could he drop before the MVP becomes a question mark. Because I think the nature of voting, it's a BBWAA award and voters are going to vote on this thing. Recency bias is definitely a thing. And so if Paul Goldsmith doesn't finish the season well, even if he's got better numbers than the other guys, could be in a little bit of danger there. So we'll update you on the MVP situation and look at the leaderboards for the statistical categories in the National League and see where Paul Goldschmidt stands. And we'll also touch on the announcement from Rawlings that came this afternoon, evening, of a new Gold Glove Award that could benefit one particular Cardinal a couple months from now. I think the decision that was made was a long time coming, and we'll talk about how that could specifically help one Cardinal bring home some hardware in a couple of months. But before we get into the content of the show tonight, we'd like to remind you guys to subscribe to Be Shaped Daily, please, if you'd be so kind, on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts if you're an iPhone user. And consider supporting the podcast by heading to patreon.com slash bshafer12, where you can sign up to be a patron on a monthly basis and get some additional goodies from time to time for doing so over there on Patreon, patreon.com slash bshafer12. Appreciate you guys for being here. Let's hop into the content of the show now. Talk about this 8-4 win by the Brewers as they defeat the Cardinals on Tuesday night at Bush Stadium. It was a rare miscue of a night for Jordan Montgomery, who still got through five innings, but just was not as sharp as we have seen him, at least so far in his Cardinals career. 
Seven hits he gave up, six runs in total. Only four of them were earned. Got bitten a little bit by the error that Lars Nupar made in the first inning, a three-base error on a ball that he just simply overran in the right field corner. And that was the way the game began. As Newtbar had the ball clang off his glove, he ran past it, tried to reach back for it, didn't go so well. Base runner ends up all the way at third, and we're off and running with that. But Montgomery, besides that play, was not as sharp as we have seen him so far in his Cardinals career. I mean, he came into this outing with a 1.45 ERA with St. Louis. He had really only one troubling outing to this point with the Cardinals. That was a couple weeks ago against Atlanta when he gave up eight hits and five runs at Bush Stadium. Had two solid outings after that one. On the whole, had been tremendous. Tonight was probably a step in the wrong direction, but from time to time, you're going to have those games. And so I don't think it's any reason to outright panic specifically about Jordan Montgomery and his trajectory moving forward for the Cardinals. There's also the fact here, and I want to look this up to get the information on this, but I saw Katie Wu had tweeted out about the Brewers being very adept against left-handed pitching this season. Uh, looking at the league ranks, um, okay, no, I, okay, I don't know. Th- there may have been some confusion on that one. The Brewers are very good against right-handed pitching, typically bad against lefties, actually. Uh, bottom five in OPS in the in the entire major leagues. But that's just one of those days that uh, maybe you can't explain it. Montgomery, like I said, not as sharp as, as typical. Gives up the seven hits, just one walk, but one home run. That was to Andrew McCutcheon, which was sort of the finishing blow to the Cardinals and their chances to win this game coming there in the fifth inning. It was 4-4 to at that point. Like, the Cardinals' offense had done a nice job of matching blow for blow what Milwaukee had come up with in the first couple of innings. But then everything kind of went a little quiet and dormant for the Cardinals the remainder of the game, which you don't love to see, especially considering the circumstances. Like, the Cardinals had some advantages in this game that you wish they would have taken more advantage of, honestly. The starter, Matt Bush, was really just an opener for the Brewers, and he only recorded one out before leaving the game with an injury. Nolan Arenado was able to clean things up there in the first inning off of Streslicki, the pitcher that came in in the first inning in lieu of Matt Bush, who had to leave with that injury. Arenado comes up with a big two-run double. That ties the game, and then Albert wasn't a home run. I know that's kind of all we're looking at for Albert Pujols right now, but... He pokes one over the first baseman's head for an RBI base hit. He's closing in on 50 RBIs now this season, and that made it 3-2 to two Cardinals. Montgomery gives up a couple of runs in the second inning. Good for the Cardinals once again to battle back in the bottom half to score their fourth run and make it 4-4. Four to four. Tommy Edmond coming up with a base hit to score Tyler O'Neill. But then the, the other seven innings, the Cardinals did not score any runs, and really they hardly came up with any hits either. Five of the six Cardinals hits taking place over the first two innings and just a completely quiet night offensively thereafter. Not really what you want to see when you had the other team on the ropes in the first game of a short set. Like, they had a day off on Monday, so the Brewers could afford the bullpen game here. Kind of a weird situation to go to it, though, knowing that you're facing the Cardinals, the team that you're trying to catch for the division. The Brewers are going through pitching injuries right now. I just don't understand why the bullpen game after... Being able to set up your rotation any way that you want, given they were off on Monday. I I know they played a doubleheader last week, but the day off should have allowed things to equalize a little bit. What do I know, though? It doesn't matter. It worked out for them because the Cardinals just weren't able to take advantage of the remainder of that Brewers bullpen. 
They got to Bush, got to Strzelicki. Luis Perdomo ended up doing a nice job coming in, the former Cardinal farmhand. Remember, he went to San Diego in the Rule 5 draft a million years ago when he was way too young to actually be in the big leagues. He wasn't, I think he had pitched at high A, and that was about it. But the Padres were just, that was their thing back then, taking uh, from other rosters Rule 5 eligible players and saying, yeah, we'll, we'll stash him on the, the big league club and maybe we can trade him for something down the road or turn him into something. Perdomo never really settled in as a starting pitcher, and I think that probably ruined his development to some extent because, again, he was not ready for the big leagues, but that's where they put him. Three innings, though, tonight did pretty well against the Cardinals, allowed just one run on three hits, and that sort of stabilized things for the Brewers there in the early innings and then allowed them to go to sort of their late-inning guys relatively early. Boxberger got into the game. Taylor Rogers, who came over in the trade for Josh Hader, the trade that sent Hader to San Diego, rather, and uh, Brent Suter. So they end up getting some of their top relievers in. They hold the Cardinals at bay without a hit over the final five innings of this game. And that's not really what you want to be seeing right now from the Cardinals offense as they look to put a lock on this thing. The NL Central, it's theirs for the taking. Really, all you got to do is is two putt or three putt to, to use some golf lingo. Just don't do anything exorbitantly stupid and you're going to bring home this division well, seven games up, and it feels like Wednesday's a bigger game than it should be, given the, the lead the Cardinals have right now. But you look at the division, and you look at the remaining schedule, there's some tough games that do remain for the Cardinals. They get five against the Reds coming up the rest of this week following Wednesday's game against Milwaukee, and so maybe that's a spot where you can start to build and pick up some easy Ws, but you can't take anything for granted, really. I'm just highlighting that as a part of the schedule that the Cardinals really do need to make sure they can handle because after that is when you go out west to San Diego and Los Angeles, and then you have to head to Milwaukee for the final two games against the Brewers this season. That's an eight-game road trip that, I mean, you could see things getting a little squirrely on that trip. You're facing three competitive teams, three teams that are looking to make the playoffs, and in the case of the Padres and the Dodgers for sure, uh, Los Angeles is already clinched. So maybe that's to your benefit that they don't need it as badly as the Cardinals need it. But you figure those are going to be some tough opponents. If you put yourself in a bad spot by getting swept by the Brewers here, and then maybe you don't handle things against the Reds the way you ought to, that's where suddenly there's pressure on that road trip that otherwise should not be there. Like the Cardinals should be in a spot by Sunday the 18th when they head out to San Diego that they don't have to be really fearful about the negative things that could happen on that trip. But it's their performance over the course of the week preceding that that's really going to make that determination for them. Not off to the great start for this homestand in that you lose game one, the bullpen game, the one that you really felt like the Brewers, they weren't putting their best foot forward, so you had the chance to take advantage of them, and you didn't do it. Now on Wednesday, they might not need the bullpen at all for that game, so you didn't really gain anything by burning up their bullpen on Tuesday. Corbin Burns, as we know, could go nine innings and that could be the end of that. So a little bit of pressure on the Cardinals. Again, I still feel like things are in a good spot, but if you look at their recent play, it's fair to say they have not been performing up to the level that they were previously. They've still won six of their past 10 games, but going back a little bit further than that, eh, there are some reasons for concern because you haven't been playing the best of opponents and you haven't been taking advantage of your schedule the way that the Cardinals had been Oh, I don't know, prior to that point, post-All-Star break up until a couple of weeks ago. Really, it was just a, 
a phenomenal stretch for the Cardinals. Not realistic to think they'd do that all year, but they're picking a heck of a time to sort of go into a lull, and that gives you a little bit of pause. And, like, that's the way the narrative feels. And even as I'm saying those things, like, okay, 6 of 10, that's still pretty good. Where is it that things are going wrong? It's four of their last eight. So they're 500 over their last eight because prior to that is when they swept the Cubs. So really, I'm getting sucked into the narrative a little bit more as well. But I feel that that's what Cardinals fans are doing. So that's where I'm coming from, trying to diagnose, all right, what's going on with this team? We know the bats haven't been as consistent. We've seen some hiccups from the starting pitching staff from time to time. Montgomery is another example of that on Tuesday. And he's been a guy that was rock solid for the most part, prior to this game. So it's not really reason to get too upset and concerned if you look at the actual games. Again, 6 out of 10 is a 600 winning percentage, and you're going to win a lot of games, and you're going to win a division if that's what you do the rest of the way. There's no question about that. The Cardinals at this point in the season have a 585 winning percentage. So, hey, over the last 10, they've still exceeded their season numbers. But if you isolate it down to the last eight games and you take a look at who those games have come against, which has been the Brewers for just this one. But prior to that, the Pirates for three and the Nationals for four. The fact that the Cardinals are in a spot to only have won four of those eight, that's a little bit disconcerting. The fact that in some of those games, they've given up major run totals to some of those bad teams and their offense has been a little bit hit and miss. Like the writing's on the wall a little bit to say, is there something to be worried about you can ask that question I say on the whole probably not but at the same time it's going to feel a little bit differently if the Cardinals do not win on Wednesday which I'm sure they won't be favored to do anytime you're facing Corbin Burns that's going to be difficult the one thing we do know is the Cardinals have a secret weapon they've got Adam Wainwright on the hill they've got Yadier Molina catching him 325 games together as a battery that's going to set the MLB record they're finally here they're finally going to do it on Wednesday Maybe that's the extra emotional juice that you need to find a way to get past Corbin Burns. Because if they can do that, there's really no conversation to be had. My prediction that was made last week that the division was locked up and over with will be looking really good. I'll be sitting pretty on that. If they lose, though, you lose two in a row, guaranteeing that the Brewers have won two in a row because you're facing them. Six games, it's a little tighter squeeze. You feel a little more restricted, more constricted than you do if it's eight. And so that's where I'm at. I think things are okay right now, but you got to look at some of the trends offensively in particular, like pitching wise. I feel like they still got the group that you want. They've got Jack Flaherty back. And so he's probably going to get better as he goes. Wainwright and Michaelis. Like, I don't think these guys have run out of gas. We've talked about that with Wainwright. I don't really think that the numbers show that guys are going to happen to have bad starts. And sometimes they coincide with the rotation mates having a little bit more rough starts. And that's where the Cardinals have been in some ways recently, but I'm still uh, at least in a position where I sit to say that the rotation, I trusted to be fine. Good enough. The rest of the way we can talk when we get there about whether it's going to be good enough when you get to October, but I think it can propel the Cardinals to at least arrive at that point. The lineup's kind of interesting. I think you've got players that you obviously feel like are capable contributors on a regular basis. Uh, I love that Tommy Edmond has been bringing his A game more recently. He was the only guy in the lineup to go for a multi-hit game on Tuesday. Two for four he was. 
and you look over his last 15 games, he's slugging nearly 800. That's pretty substantial. He's turned it around in a major way. His OPS over that 15-game stretch is handily above 1,200, and he's hitting 426. That's a that's a 54 at bat sample size, and you can even go back to his last 30 games, a sample size of 102 abs. He's hitting 333 with a 370 on base and a 637 slug. So for 30 games, Tommy Edmond has been a 1,000 OPS guy. Six home runs over those 30 games. That's a ridiculous pace. If if you multiply that by five and you call Tommy Edmond a 30 home run hitter, he is going to be he's going to be getting top 10 MVP votes. I mean, with what Tommy Edmond brings defensively, and you just pencil that in 30 home runs because that's the pace from his last 30 games. If you multiply that by five, play 150 games, give a guy 500 abs, 500 plus abs. That's close to 600 plate appearances. That's even a conservative estimate. So if he does that every time, five times over after a 30 game stretch of doing it here, that's 30 home runs. That's about 90 RBIs or so, maybe a little short of that. And a 333 batting average with a 1000 OPS and probably a gold glove. And now we can say probably a gold glove because we don't have to ask the question anymore of what position does Tommy Edmond qualify at for the gold glove award? There is no such thing because they've added an additional award for a super utility player. And I don't know that he's going to win it for sure, but they might as well have named it the Tommy Edmond award because he's been so good defensively this season, but it's been between two different positions. And so you worry about what that would do for the MLB voting for gold gloves, because you kind of have to have that lockdown at one position to get the consideration that you deserve. That's historically been the way it's gone. But now, and this was news that just came out today, Tommy Edmond has a legit shot to win a gold glove, and I can't imagine anybody else but him winning it. If you look at the defensive war leaders, this is according to ESPN, and I don't know exactly which war they use, so it's going to differ from service to service. But they list Tommy Edmond as number one in Major League Baseball in wins above replacement for defensive war, adding 2.8 wins per the season just based on his glove work alone. And he's done it at second base, he's done it at shortstop as well. It's the highest mark in the big leagues. They might as well have named it the Tommy Edmond Award. I assume playing shortstop in second base will qualify you for super utility. I hope that the only qualifications are you've done the defensive work in multiple spots. It doesn't have to be like you played outfield and third base and like two should be enough to me because that was the disqualifying factor before. So Tommy Eben should be a shoe in for that award. I would be shocked if he doesn't win it unless there's some reason that he doesn't qualify because he's been great. And so I add in to say offensively, he's been great for the past 30 games. And if you put together a full season of doing those things, he would be one of the most valuable players in Major League Baseball. It's the conversation I had about Harrison Bader when he was a Cardinal, and I consistently said, guys, for those who harp on his hitting, he doesn't have to be great. He has to be league average. The defense will do the rest, and he'll be a very valuable player. Well, Tommy Edmond at this point is sort of putting together that season. He hasn't done it with consistency because it's been stretches of really good and then stretches of really bad and then another stretch of really, really good right now where he's been elite for the past month or so offensively. But what that ends up as is a 743 OPS, a 270 batting average, and a good enough 
on-base percentage for Tommy Ebb, and now he's batting back in the top of the order. I like him in the number two spot behind Brendan Donovan, who, even though he has come off the pace a little bit in terms of his on-base ability, he's still a guy that for the full season has compiled an on-base percentage of 389. So he's not above 400 anymore, is Brendan Donovan, but still 389, very capable on-base guy. Love seeing him at the top of the lineup against right-handed pitching. I think that should continue. Tommy Ebbin for the season, only a 327 on base, but has a pretty solid slugging of 416. That 743 OPS, you put him there, I'm telling you with his defense, he's going to be one of the more valuable players. That's not where I say he gets MVP votes, but you do consider the value of him as a league average to slightly above league average hitter and a supreme defender. That's going to play. Now, what he's done over the past month, if he were to replicate that over a longer stretch, that's when you're talking about an MVP caliber player. I don't know if that's the mean or the median for Tommy Edmond, though. Uh, just be really glad that when, when the hot streaks happen that they can last this long for him. And for now, it has. And he's a good player. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him prolong it even a little further than he has. But he's on a, a ridiculous pace right now. And uh, Cardinals fans are, are are lucky to be able to watch him over the recent weeks when he's done this. Shift gears a little bit, though. We're talking about an offense. How do you carry the consistency? Edmund was one of the better hitters in the lineup today. We mentioned Arenado's two-run double. That was important. He reached base via walk as well. Dickerson, pool holes. We had the RBI hit for him that we talked about. And Tyler O'Neill was batting ninth today. I think that was to, to sort of counteract the bullpen game so that they couldn't uh, feel like they get to the bottom of the lineup and can really take advantage of the Cardinals lineup. They had O'Neill down there as a power threat. He goes one for four. And those are all the the guys who got hits today. Edmund, Arnato, Dickerson, Pujols, and O'Neill. with Edmund coming up with a couple of them to get to the Cardinals' six. But Paul Goldschmidt's the guy that I want to talk about because he has been the MVP of the National League for the entire way. Like, there hasn't been any doubt about it. There's been no question about it. He's just been in the front-runner's seat, and there's really been nobody else to, to bring up in that conversation. Now things are trending a little bit differently just because as – human baseball players are prone to do. He's gone through a bit of a cold spell that is lowering his numbers on a season-long basis. And it's happening at a time in the year where you go, man, you you want to be having good optics and and good chatter around your game right now to, to shore up those MVP voters. Anything can happen over the last few weeks. If you're playing poorly and somebody else rises up, even if your numbers clip them for the full season, the voters could lean the other direction just because of that recency bias. And over the last seven games, it's a two for 25, or pardon me, a four for 25 for Goldie with a 160 batting average. And you can even elongate that a little bit beyond to the last 15 games. He's hitting 189 uh, with a 338 on base, which is still fine. The, the 340 slug indicates just about no power over the last 15 games. And that's an OPS for a 15 game sample below 700, which is very non Goldschmidtian. That's a 678 OPS over his last 15 games. Granted, if you stretch it out to 30 games, the samples still look pretty good. On on base percentage near 400, slugging 593 and hitting 301. But that's not going to be the case for much longer. If he has two more weeks like he just had, you're going to see him dip below 1,000 for sure on the OPS. The batting average is going to drop uh, rather considerably. And we'll, we'll be having a different conversation about, well, where does he stand in terms of the MVP race? Now, as it stands currently... If the season ended today, there would still be no conversation in my mind. Freddie Freeman is the one guy you may have to look out for because he's heating up. He's taken over in terms of the, the batting crown, 329 average to Goldie's 322. 
On base-wise, Goldie's still got him licked at 410 compared to 402. Goldie's slugging is much more substantial, 602 to 527. And that means the OPS for Goldschmidt, it's still the highest in the league. It's not by 100 points anymore, though. He's up on Arenado by 102, but he's only up on Freddie Freeman by 83 points in OPS. 1,012, it's a 10-12 OPS compared to Freddie Freeman's 929. Home runs, 35 to 20. RBIs, 109 to 91. Goldsmith's got him licked in both those categories pretty significantly. But you've got the fact that he plays for the Dodgers. If Freddie Freeman goes on a tear, upset home run rate, he'll get over 100 RBIs. And the OPS is, is a number that I think you look at. That's going to be something interesting, especially if he wins the batting title as well. Maybe he's somebody that can can gain on Paul Goldsmith in that regard. Uh, the Triple Crown is not completely out of the question at this point. Goldie's still two behind Schwarber in home runs, 37-35. He is one behind now Pete Alonso, who I believe homered today. He's got 34 and 110. Goldie's at 35 and 109. So neck and neck in that regard. And you're six, seven points off the batting mark currently of Freddie Freeman. Jeff McNeil is actually past Goldie as well in batting average, 323 to 322. And Freddie Freeman's at 329. So offensively, like those are the names. I don't consider Kyle Swerber to be a factor. I, I Austin Riley, maybe because he's got Goldsmith and homers, and he's got the 902 OPS. Pete Alonso's OPS is 849. I, I don't think voters in 2022 are going to be fooled by just simple home run and RBI numbers. Uh, Goldie has been the better player than Pete Alonso easily, and if you consider defensive value, I don't think there's anybody that I would take over Paul Goldsmith at first base in the National League. He should very well win the Gold Glove Award. Uh, Christian Walker, I think, does a nice job defensively to the extent that I saw one of the Diamondbacks writers recently uh, in an article about him just sort of flippantly say, you know, he's a shoe-in. Christian Walker is a shoe-in for the NL Gold Glove Award. I'm thinking, how many St. Louis games have you watched? Because if anyone's a shoe-in for the award, I can't imagine uh, it not being Paul Goldschmidt. So offensively, though, I I would like to see him pick it up because you don't want to stumble into the finish and, and leave any room for doubt. There's been no room for doubt the entire way. A bad three weeks to finish the season to coincide with the couple of bad weeks that he just had. That could end. I mean, if his OPS is 975 instead of over a thousand, the way it's been virtually the entire season, and then guy like Freeman from 927, maybe he goes on a hot streak and gets up to 950. You you might lose the tiebreaker, even though it's not a tie. You might lose that tiebreaker to a Los Angeles player uh, if you're a St. Louis player like Goldie is. So that would be a little bit of a concern that I have, and I say concern because I want to see him win the Gold Glove. He deserves it based on what he's done for the year. You would just hate to see him sort of stumble at the finish, and that be something that costs him. But right now, I still think he's in the driver's seat, but he can't continue this way if it's going to happen that way. And I think Goldie is going to come out of it, but you're sort of running out of calendar space. And I think for Cardinals fans, the main thing is, can he come out of it before October 7th or whenever that wild card series begins? Because that's when they're really going to need him. Because he is the guy that can carry your offense. You talk about the inconsistencies of the offense in recent weeks. It, again, it feels worse than it is because, again, the Cardinals have gone six of their last ten. They've gone four of their last eight, which is still a 500 record over that stretch. But when you consider the things that we've talked about, they're playing bad teams and not winning, and their offense just feels like it's going in fits and starts. The Goldsmith slump, I think, is related to that because he's been such a consistent, steady drumbeat that you haven't had to worry about what the offense would look like for prolonged steps because if he wasn't doing it one day, he was probably going to do it the next. And the Cardinals don't have the benefit of assuming that right now with Paul Goldschmidt. Hopefully he's able to try to find his way out of it, but it was an 0 for 4 on Tuesday following a couple of straight days off for him. So 
Timing at the plate is not what it was. We'll see what he's able to figure out. Uh, on the pitching side, as far as MVPs are concerned, uh, Cindy Alcantara has sort of fallen off the pace, and so there's really no concern that a pitcher will unseat Goldsmith or any other hitter, for that matter, in the NL MVP race. Uh, notable that Sandy has already eclipsed the 200-inning mark. He's the only guy in the National League uh, that can claim that. 203 innings, and then second place is Miles Michaelis at 181, for the record. Uh, but 2.43 ERA for Sandy. It's it, For a while, he was below two, and I thought if he finishes the year with a 1.8 ERA and throws 240 or 50 innings, there might be something to talk about with regard to MVP. There's not, I don't see a single pitcher on the board that can can lay a claim to the, the type of performance that Goldie has had recently. Uh, not even Corbin Burns, who the Cardinals will see on Wednesday. 2.93 ERA, 214 strikeouts for Burns. So, basically, this is the don't panic episode of B-Shape Daily. If you're a Cardinals fan, I wouldn't panic about the division. Yes, they could lose to Burns on Wednesday. It would be a little more uncomfortable, and we'd have to talk about that and pay much closer attention to the remaining series, including that five-gamer against the Reds coming up. But I don't think it's a reason to panic yet, even if you lose on Wednesday. But I'm telling you, I say that now. We'll get in here tomorrow, and if it happens, we'll be uh, sort of holding our, our collar and ah, feeling a little uncomfortable. It's a possibility that we'll have to broach if it, if it gets there. But the other side is Adam Wainwright shows up in a big moment, as he's so often done throughout his career. The record-breaking day, they find a way to beat Burns, and the offense comes alive, and maybe a Goldschmidt that hits the homer off of Corbin Burns to make it happen. You never do know. We still have Albert Pujols to monitor in terms of the race for 700. I have said he's going to do it by Sunday. If that's going to be the case, he's going to have to get going sooner rather than later, though. No home runs on Tuesday. I think the Red Series is going to be a big one for him, and if I'm Ollie Marmel, I'm putting him in the lineup almost every day. Again, especially because he's been a contributor offensively against right, against left. It hasn't mattered since the All-Star break has been one of the better hitters in baseball, not just in terms of a platoon advantage. So you're not really sacrificing a lot to put him in there. Obviously, tonight he came through with a base hit, one for four, the RBI. Uh, not a huge night, but the 860 OPS is still basically behind Goldsmith and Arenado on the Cardinals. That's it. He's been their third best hitter, albeit in a limited sample size. He's just been that good this season. The more Albert, the better, especially for the home fans of, of the rest of the week. So that's something to keep in mind as well. The pitching, it doesn't overly concern me at this point, but it just wasn't a great night for Montgomery. Take a breath. I think everything's going to be okay on that front. And it should be okay on the Goldschmidt front. He's just got to kind of come out of the slump a little bit and see where he can go from there. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys for listening. As always, we will be back to recap Game 2 against the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll talk about the festivities between Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina at Bush. It's going to be fun and a fun weekend ahead as well as the Cardinals welcome the Reds into town for a pretty lengthy series. And fans will be trying to get their glimpse of Albert Pujols because not too many chances to do it. Five games against the Reds following the Wednesday series finale against the Brewers, and then you've got three against the Pirates toward the end of the month, and that's it. That will be the final uh, home game in terms of regular season. Hopefully in the playoffs, there will be more to come. But appreciate you guys for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace!